Most MMA promotions have their media favorites, guys that are supposed to be the next big thing. Sometimes they make it to the top, but also sometimes they get matched up with an opponent they just aren't ready for yet. They lose and then they have to take a back seat. What happens next though is because their opponent just beat this upcoming prospect, they'll get a high profile matchup next. And well, what's supposed to be a blessing more often than not turns into a curse. Hey, what's up everyone? We just want to let you know about something really cool that we got going on on the channel at the moment. So the awesome people at Athletic Greens challenged us to try their AG1 drink for 30 days and we were well up for it. If you don't know what AG1 is, it's a comprehensive supplement made with 75 different vitamins and minerals using whole food sourced ingredients. It's a mega nutrient formula and it's designed to cover all the nutritional requirements your body needs. So the lads and I have been having it for 30 days now and the first thing I've noticed is how easy it is to incorporate into a busy schedule. You just do one scoop, add water and that's pretty much it. One of the main things I have noticed is a sort of a consistent level of energy and it helps me stay focused as well because we've got a lot of script writing, a lot of things to do here in the MMA on Point office. If you're looking for something to give you all-in-one foundation nutrition without taking a bunch of pills then you should probably give this a go couldn't be any easier one scoop water you're done hit the link in the description and receive a one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin d3k2 and five free travel packs with your first purchase more on that later but for now here are 10 fighters who seemingly got punished for beating promotional favorites number 10 brandon lee hinkle of all the street fighting legends we know, Kimbo Slice is probably the most famous, and he was at least undefeated on YouTube for a long time. That was before a tough-as-nails Boston cop named Sean Gannon saw Kimbo's post on the MMA Underground about accepting fights, and he handed him his first defeat in some basement gym somewhere. Now, Sean wasn't a young prospect, but the UFC went out of their way to bring him into the promotion and book him in a fight against Brandon Lee Hinkle at UFC 55. Now, Brandon was on an eight-fight win streak, but that was all at regional shows you've never heard of against dudes that don't have have Wikipedia pages. Sean had Mark Delagrotti and Kenny Florian in his corner, that's Boston's finest right there, but he came out and pretty much got taken down in 30 seconds. He didn't get up again, and after three minutes of being punched in the face, Herb stepped in. Great night for Brandon, he'd just beaten this big viral star, and surely he was going to become one himself. So who was next? What was his reward for this victory? The UFC matched him up with uh, Jeff Monson, who was on a 12-fight win streak and actually just two fights away from a UFC title shot. Imagine that, from the neo-regional fight scene of South Korea to um, a massive UFC heavyweight who also happened to be an Abu Dhabi grappling champion. Safe to say, Jeff got on top of him, Brandon did not get up, and he ended up getting north-south choked. Well, at least you beat the cannon, Brandon. Was it worth it? Number 9. Brian Barberina Bam Bam isn't just an onomatopoeia in Batman comics. It's also the nickname of one of the gutsiest sluggers in the welterweight division, Brian Barberina. Around the time he joined the UFC, so did one of the most commercially appealing prospects to ever step through its doors. Fresh off of Dana White's looking for a fight, Sage Northcutt was a 19-year-old, 77-time youth karate champion. He also won his UFC debut in 60 seconds and could probably front flip over the moon. In his third fight, he jumped up to welterweight and was supposed to take on Andrew Holbrook, but he pulled out eight days before with an injury and in step the California slugger Barberina. Apparently Sage had a serious case of strep throat and you seriously don't want to get arm triangled with that shit, but he did and Brian forced a tap. Regardless, it was pretty impressive and the UFC gave him another undefeated prospect as a result. The Brazilian Borle Alves and Brian went all the way down to Curitiba, Brazil to Bam Bam. Alves was actually a 5-1 to one favorite, but Brian took him all three rounds and took a unanimous decision. So yeah, Brian was looking like a prospect killer at this point, but Colby Covington was also on the rise at welterweight and they booked it. Barbarina did what he could, but Colby absolutely dominated him in the wrestling department. He took him down 12 times across the 15 minutes and racked up nine minutes of control time. Brian had stopped some hype trains, but he didn't really get much of a chance to fight, unfortunately, and had to deal with a Covington smothering. 
So basically, after beating pretty much a new guy in Sage, his reward was nothing but the top guys at welterweight. He even fought Leon Edwards two fights later. Number eight, Ricky Bandeas. Did you know Bellator have got their own Conor McGregor? Okay, not exactly. And at this point, James Gallagher's probably done enough in his career to stand on his own two feet. But at one point, he was a super-duper hyped, undefeated prospect. And after a 4-0 amateur career on the UK regional scene and just two pro fights, Bellator snapped him right up. He then went on a four-fight win streak and the hype was just building, helped by his uber-confidence he had in himself. I really do believe that there's no one better in the world. But at Bellator 204, he ran into Ricky Bandejas, who honestly was his first tough challenge. Ricky was 10-1, but it was his Bellator debut and James hadn't really fought any high-level guys yet. But Ricky was able to stuff those pesky takedowns and sniped him off with right hands, even a sidekick. It was James's first pro loss and no shame really, Ricky looked amazing. But because he'd taken out the superstar, he got bumped up to some higher-level competition and in only his second fight, he became the 16th man in Juan Archuleta's win streak. The fight was being called a top contender matchup and, well, I mean, Ricky only had one fight in Bellator. Juan put a pace on him and just outworked him, really. He had said as well before the fight that Ricky just couldn't keep up with this level of talent and he was kind of right. Bellator then did him no favours and gave him Patrick Mix next, another undefeated prospect, and he attacked him from the opening bell, threatened with his kicks and just 20 seconds in, Mix jumped on his back and before the fight could even get started, he was already tapping. If you compare the records, Ricky got nothing but absolute monsters, even Sergio Pettis, all because he beat James, who kind of carried on fighting nobodies. I mean, it took him four wins to get to Patchy Mix and he also got submitted as well. Number seven, Rose Namajunas. Dana White had pointed to Thug Rose as the next Ronda Rousey on The Ultimate Fighter, but she unfortunately didn't win that show. And meanwhile, a new UFC darling had appeared at 115, 12-gauge Paige Van Zant, who, if you didn't actually get a chance to watch, just ran through her first UFC opponents with a Blixkrieg style of full-on attack. The UFC gave them their own fight night show, and it turned out Rose was levels above Paige on the ground. She controlled her for 16 of the 25 minutes and hit her with submission attempt after submission attempt until Paige finally tapped in the fifth round. So the next hot prospect at 115 had been determined, but Tisha Torres had also gone on a three-fight win streak since Tough. Now, Rose had already lost to Tisha in Evicta, and after just two UFC wins, she was already back fighting her. It's not much of a reward, is it? But surprisingly, she came out on top in the rematch. Only up from here, I guess, so she got the next top prospect in the division, the Polish princess Karolina Kowalkiewicz. Now, I'm sure some of you have only seen the second half of Karolina's career when she went on a five-fight losing streak between 2018 and 2021, but in 2016, she was a 9-0 undefeated former KS champion, and it kind of showed in the fight with Rose. Although she got off to a fairly good start, Carolina decided closing her down, and once she got that tie clinch, it was game over, son. Boom, boom, boom. She started bodying her with knees, and once she worked out she was stronger there, it continued in the next round, this time with elbows, and the next. That's that Krav Maga, son. Rose had to go back to the drawing board, and Carolina fought for a world title. Number six, Henry Corrales. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say most of you have no idea who Henry Corrales is or even who he was before he fought one of the most hyped prospects in MMA, Aaron Pico, at Bellator 214. Henry had been in the promotion for four years at this point and was four and three, but Aaron was Scott Coker's new wonder child. Okay, yes, he got submitted in his debut, but then he went on a four-fight first-round finishing streak. On paper, Henry looked like a viable next step for Pico, but just one minute into the first round, they were slugging it out and Corrales felled the youngling with a massive right hand. Woo, heck yes, Henry. That might be the most impressive KO of your career. That performance got him into the featherweight World Grand Prix, which is awesome, but it also meant he was about to fight the absolute best Bellator had to offer. I mean, the guy just beat Aaron Pico. Okay, he's an awesome prospect, but now he has to fight title contenders and world champions? Nah, man, that ain't it. 
And in his first matchup, he was against the former champion, Darian Caldwell. He basically got outstruck and outgrappled. Honestly, it was just a tough matchup. But hey, he'd just beaten the Wonder Kid, right? After Caldwell, it didn't exactly stop there either. Considering he'd now faced two well-known Bellator badasses, might as well make it a third. Next up was Juan Archuleta, who, yes, had just lots to Patrice Pitbull. But before that, he'd been on a four-year-long 17-fight win streak. Safe to say, once again, Henry was outmatched, but he got plenty of high-level experience, I guess. Number 5. Cheeto Vera It's honestly been a long road in the UFC for Cheeto. He's been fighting in the organization for over 8 years now and is only just breaking through into the top of the division. He really started putting things together after the loss to Douglas Silva D'Andrade and he went on a 5 fight win streak. Then he met Team Alpha prospect Song Yadong and lost a decision in a fight of the night. After that, the UFC picked the only other guy in the division with as many tattoos as him, Sean O'Malley, and booked them in the co-main event of UFC 252. We all know how that went down. Cheeto kicked him in the leg, O'Malley suffered from the infamous drop foot, and Vera just TKO'd him on the map. O'Malley was an undefeated superstar. He'd been on back-to-back knockout performances, was clearly on his way to the top of the sport, but at least for a time, Cheeto put a stop to that hype train. Marlon was now ranked 15th, but instead of continuing his ascent up the rest of the division, his reward just four months later was a fight with the legendary former WEC and UFC champion Jose Aldo. He was on a three-fight losing streak though, so at least on paper it seemed like an even contest. Cheeto was able to control him early a little against the cage, but once they broke, Aldo started stalking him, landing his big lead hooks to the body and chopping away at the legs. For as good as Marlon had been, Jose proved his striking was on another level and in the third he hopped on his back, took him down and racked up 4 minutes and 53 seconds of control time. Cheeto headed to the back of the line, but he's been killing it ever since. Number 4. Dennis Siva These days, there's plenty of awesome MMA fighters coming out of Australia, but back in 2007, well, they were few and far between. But on season 6 of The Ultimate Fighter, we were introduced to George Soteropoulos. He was dangerous, super serious, and pretty much scared everyone out of fucking with him in the tough house. He actually won the whole season, and when he hit the UFC, he went on a 7-fight win streak, looking like a top prospect. Certainly a star they wanted to market in Australia, and they took him there for several shows. But at UFC 27, he ran into Dennis Siva, the German kickboxer and UFC lightweight staple. Dennis stuffed his takedown, so they slugged it out on the feet, and Siva was just a little quicker, a little sharper, and he managed to shut down George. At this point, though, almost any time Dennis had taken a step up in competition, he unfortunately had been knocked back down again. But because of his impressive performance against George, the UFC gave him Donald Cerrone, who just happened to be coming off a knockout of the night against Charles Oliveira, and hadn't actually lost yet in the UFC. This was a prime cowboy, okay? A straight beer-drinking, head-kick-toting killer who'd already beaten more guys with Wikipedia pages than Dennis had fought in his whole career. They might as well have asked Dennis to try bull riding. So the fight started and it seemed like fighting Cerrone was a bad choice. He got body kicked immediately and after 40 seconds of bouncing around got cracked in the head with the old Cerrone special. Dennis did the chicken dance and actually survived but one minute later Donald was on his back, he stretched him out and Dennis just had to tap. Hats off to the man for taking out George but damn, Donald really did kick his ass. Number 3. Michael Johnson so, even before Dustin Poirier lost to Conor McGregor in 2014, he was a pretty highly touted prospect. After Notorious stiffed him, he decided to stop cutting all that weight at 145, jumped up to lightweight, and it was a pretty good move because he actually went on a four-fight win streak and once again looked like a future star. He was eventually matched up with Michael Johnson, they had their own fight night after some heated trash talk, and the menace put him out cold in just one and a half minutes. It was a great win, but he had been on a two-fight losing streak right before that, but someone apparently forgot about that because they thought it was a good idea to match him up with Habib Nurmagomedov. I 
I love me some MJ, but he was not on the same level as Habib, who thoroughly dominated him. Yes, he did land that one left hand that Joe Rogan likes to mention so much, but in the second and third rounds, he only landed a combined three strikes, and Habib damn near ripped his arm off. Beating Poirier was seriously impressive, but it got him the fight with Habib, and dear God, even Snoop Dogg was tweeting about that one. Beating his fucking ass, help! <laughs> help! Number two, Tiago Silva. One thing you can pretty much guarantee in combat sports is that if you fight like a rage-fueled Wolverine ending all your fights in literally the most vicious way possible, you're going to get fans interested. That was basically the early career of Houston Alexander, who was a light heavyweight who absolutely destroyed Keith Jardine and Alessio Sakara, both in pretty much just one minute. He was incredibly intimidating and just the sort of fighter the UFC loved to sign. So after two wins at UFC 78, he was matched up with the undefeated Brazilian Thiago Silva, who was also equally as violent. It wasn't the slugfest we all expected. Thiago got him down and mounted him and then just pounded him into the canvas. It was a great performance though, and so he was bumped up to the massive UFC 94 pay-per-view with GSP vs BJ Penn, and the UFC gave him Lyoto Machida. I don't know if you saw the Dragon's early UFC career, but he basically looked unbeatable. He, he kind of was. He was on a five-fight win streak by UFC 94, and yeah, unfortunately for Thiago, he could barely land a glove on the karate master. Just two minutes in, he got dropped with a big left hand after landing zero significant strikes, and it, it only got worse from there. It was like he could hit water if he fell out of a boat. Machida kept dancing around him, dropped him again, and about 60 seconds later, he kind of mercifully put him unconscious with just one second left in the round. Tiago literally only hit him twice, and it was just too much of a step up in competition from Alexander, really. Number one, Antonio Bigfoot Silva. If you were paying attention to the UFC heavyweight division in 2010, you probably got very excited like most people did when a new undefeated 6'7 Hawaiian guy showed up and started knocking everybody out. Travis Brown was definitely a hype prospect, but after the Strike Force guys came over and he ran into Bigfoot Silver's fist, well, that probably wasn't the plan. Let's just say that. But hey, Bigfoot had taken out this rising prospect. Pretty incredible, right? So the UFC were like, cool, now here's Alistair Overeem. Oh, well, thanks. It's not like he's the highest new signing on a 12-fight win streak and just crippled Brock Lesnar. Feels bad for Bigfoot, or that's what we thought. I mean, Alistair was pretty much just manhandling him, and it looked like a terrible matchup, but he gassed, and he ended up getting standing TKO'd. So, great job by Antonio, but that meant he was basically next in line for a title shot, which I'll say fair play, of course, for beating those guys, but I'm not being funny. He was just obliterated by Kane like two fights ago. Did he even deserve to get bumped up to a title fight? And there were people like Vadum or even a DC rematch he could have taken instead. It just seemed like a bad idea from the UFC, and dude, it really was. Antonio stuffed the first takedown, but 60 seconds later, Kane uncorked a humongous right hand, Bigfoot dropped like a tree, and after a few more ground and pound shots, the fight was already over. He did well to get to the title shot, but his reward? I mean, no one wants that for Christmas. Alright, big shout out again to Athletic Greens for sponsoring this video. You can start your own AG1 journey today just by simply hitting the link in the description below. Oh, and you'll also get one year's free supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free travel packs as well with your very first purchase. Why give someone flowers when you can give the gift of Ben Rosette? He's been providing music for this channel for a long time, including that song you heard in the intro. If you want to hear more, check him out on Twitter at Ben Rosette or on Spotify. Anyway, if you want to see more from us, we do free videos every week. Hit the like button because you probably liked it, maybe. And if not, subscribe. There you have it. A bunch of guys who beat young prospects and then got super hard matchups. I know most of you might be thinking, well, isn't that a good thing? Don't they want the better fights? In this case, it didn't really seem to work out for them. Although they might say otherwise, who the hell am I? 